0: Oh! <laughs>
1: Your Hello, and welcome again to the Strange Brew podcast. My name is Jason Barnard, and that was blues rock guitarist legend Walter Trout there. We've ride the title track of his new album, and as always, it's because I've got Walter here today to talk about his career. So let's hear my chat with Walter. Hello, is that Walter? This is me. How you doing? Fantastic. And obviously, the really important thing to cover is your new album. And we've all heard the title track of that album, Ride, as well. And that's a song that ideas for that come from your childhood. Is that right?
2: Yeah, a lot of the songs on the album, as I look back on it now, seem to be influenced by memories of my youth. I didn't set out to do that. It just turned out that way
1: it said that in terms of ride there was a a train that ran near your childhood home
2: well it ran right across the street and it was very loud and and it was a big freight train it it was going between philadelphia and atlantic city and um it would run all hours of the day and night and if you were laying in bed i mean the bed would shake you know and um when we first moved in there, and I was a little guy, my mom said, "You know, you're going to hate this. It'll keep you up at night." but I after a little while, I grew used to it, and it was almost soothing. Mm-hmm. I, I grew to love the sound of it. And also, there was, I mean, the story behind it is that there was a lot of dysfunction, I don't know how else to put it, going on in in my house at the time. There was violence and terror and i would dream about getting out of the bed putting my pants on run across the street jump on the train and away i would go i never did it but thought about it all the time and that's really what the song is about
1: it's hey mama from uh, the ride out also from a, a similar perspective
2: yeah that's really uh that was another one that i wrote sort of as a poem didn't know i would put it to music and it's just a conversation with my mom. And, um, you know, some people have said to me, she should have done more to sort of protect you from your stepfather. But it's easy to say that looking back on it.
1: so prolific going out and playing live did the pandemic mean that you had more time to reflect and that influenced the album
2: yeah except sitting around not playing for you know a year and a half to two years I did practice the guitar all the time I was determined to keep my chops up and hopefully to get better but um I would sit around and I would think of a maybe a couple of lines, of lyric or a musical idea. And I would sort of record it into my phone. I got a little sound recorder. And um, when it was time to to do that album, I went to Los Angeles to our house there. I'm in Denmark right now. We have a house here. and uh, But I went to Los Angeles and put the whole thing together in about a week. But I was in there alone. I had nothing to do except reflect, get into sort of a zone and take, for instance, I found a piece of paper in my house, in my bedroom back in California that said, um, I live next to the railroad and I could hear the trains go rolling by. They shook the house, they shook the bed. It would always make my spirit fly. I had written that like, I don't know, six, seven years ago. And it was sitting in a drawer and I looked at it and it brought back the memory of hearing that train. And I just went
1: with it. Was Ghosts another track that came from a, a fragment or poem? Yeah. Now, Ghosts,
2: I kind of here in Denmark, we live in a little fishing village of 500 people. I mean, even my wife and I went to the movies Two days ago, it took us an hour and a half to get to the movie theater. We are way out in the middle of the boondocks here and a little fishing village on the coast. And a lot of times I would um, get in the car and go start driving around some of these little roads through fields and valleys and forests and beaches. And I would put on music really kind of from my youth. I mean, I think everybody, I grew up in the 60s. And when I hear, I saw her standing there or I want to hold your hand or yesterday, it brings back memories of when I was 14 or 13. And some of the memories are great. Some of the memories are not so good. So that ghosts, um, I was driving around and I had my recorder and, and I would speak a couple lines of lyric into the recorder. And before I knew it, I had almost all the lyrics of the song, but done at different times. And I, I still like to do that. If I'm, if I'm driving along and I hear um, anything, uh, the first album by Crosby, Stills and Nash, if I hear Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, I remember living in a little apartment with my first girlfriend and sitting around listening to that when i was 18. stuff like that i and i think everybody has that that's one of the beauties of music is that if you listen to a song that meant something to you when you were a teenager and you're now 70 suddenly you're right back there it's all becomes very vivid In my gut and in my head They're in the trees and in the clouds They're laying next to me in bed And they're talking way too loud In my ears before my eyes Trying to take
0: control I feel them holding on to me And reaching for my soul Don't matter how
2: hard I fight It don't matter I pray sometimes I ain't strong enough and I can't chase the ghosts away No no goes away
1: links in with what you were talking about earlier in terms of the memories of some of those formative songs when did the blues come into your life
2: well it's funny my dad both my parents were music aficionados they loved music my my mom took me to see james brown when i was a little kid she took me to see ray charles my dad would take me to black jazz clubs in atlantic city and we'd listen to these jazz musicians. and But he also had records, my father, in the 50s in suburban New Jersey. He had records by T-Bone Walker and B.B. King and people like that. People, I don't know how he got into it because, as I say, it was the late 50s. And it was in suburban New Jersey. But my dad had records by by old blues men and jazz guys. And my mom had records from everybody from Ray Charles to um, Bill Monroe and Hank Williams. And I was hearing all of it. And as soon as they got an idea that I really loved music, they enjoyed exposing me to all sorts of music. So I would hear the blues in, in the house, but hmm. it didn't really grab me. I was listening to rock and roll. I was listening to the Beatles and the Stones and and, uh, Buddy Holly and Little Richard and Chuck Berry. But then the way the blues really got me all of a sudden was my older brother brought home an album in 1965 by the Paul Butterfield Blues Band. It was their first album. Starts off with a song called Born in Chicago. And it had a guitar player named Michael Bloomfield. And my brother said to me, hey, Walt, I know you love guitar music. I'm going to play this for you. He goes, but you have to sit down because when you hear this guy, you're going to fall down. And he played me that whole album. And I said, you know what? I know what I want to do with my life. I want to make that sound that that guy is doing with that guitar. And I went to my mother at 14 and said, I'm going to be a blues guitar player. And I have never looked back. So that album, because not only were they playing the blues, but they had rock and roll aggression. They had rock and roll fire and they had energy bordering on chaos and anarchy, you know. And I had not heard that with the old blues guys. I got into the old blues guys later, even though my dad was playing T-Bone Walker. It hadn't grabbed me until these guys were playing it and playing it really fast and loud and, you know, going all. That's when the blues got me, that album that changed my life. Yeah. And there are a lot of musicians my age who will tell you the same thing about that album. Robin Ford will tell you the same thing.
1: It was blues for the modern days about a decade ago. That was uh, influenced by Blind Willie Johnson, wasn't it?
2: yeah he's pretty much for country blues, acoustic blues, he's pretty much my favorite. I think he has has a spiritual depth to him that that eclipses everyone else, I think. And there's something about that guy that that rips my heart out of my chest when he plays. So I, even though I wasn't trying to play like him, and I never would try to play like him because there's no way I could. But I was so, I had been listening to him a lot at that point and he influenced my writing on that record.
1: you became a professional musician. I mean, that ultimately led you to joining one of the great exponents of blues rock candy, didn't it? So that must have been um, a real confidence builder for you. Well, that was
2: pretty amazing because before Canned Heat, I had played with John Lee Hooker, Big Mama Thornton, Percy Mayfield, Lowell Folsom, Eddie Cleanhead, Vincent, Mm. Bobby Hatfield from the Righteous Brothers. Um, it, It goes on and on, but they were all gigs right around where I lived in LA. I was playing around, you know, when I played with John Lee Hooker, I did local shows in LA and San Diego and Santa Barbara. I never really toured. But when Canned Heat hired me, suddenly I was able to go out and do these one-night tours where you're in the van for two months at a time. And it was a whole step up in my opinion. And I had been a mega fan of Canned Heat before that. I had gone to Woodstock and I had watched Canned Heat in 1969. And with all the bands that I saw at Woodstock, they were one of my favorites. And the fact that 10 years later, I became their lead player was really, I was amazed at it. And then even when I got with John May, all that was even more amazing to me, you know?
1: Because there is a, a live document, Canned Heat, which is live in Austin. got like, let's work together on it. And it's a really invigorating time.
2: Yeah. I had a lot of fun with those guys and I can tell you that that my father especially um when I got with canned heat that's when he said you know something I I can tell you're actually really going to go somewhere and you're really you really are going to have a a lifelong career here Walter that was the one that really convinced my dad that um, okay, yeah, I can do this for my life.
3: It's been referred to as the Hip National anthem. It's called we
1: It was John Mayle Senior with Canned Heat that led you to play for him. Is that right?
2: Yeah, that's right. He had the original Blues Breakers back together with Mick Taylor, John McVie and Colin Allen. And I was in Canned Heat and we opened for John for three shows. And John and I hit it off and we became friends. And after the three shows, he said, well, what, what's Canned Heat doing now? I said, well, we're going to take a couple months off. And he said, well, hey, I'd like to hear you play rhythm for Mick Taylor. Why don't you come out on the road with us? And there I was out with with the original Blues Breakers playing rhythm guitar for Mick Taylor and thinking to myself, this is amazing because I grew up learning guitar off of these guys' records, and I, I was a kid in high school when these guys were out making their albums, and I'm from New Jersey. I'm not from Great Britain, but here I am. I'm with the original Blues Breakers, and that was incredible. <laughs> you know, it was really, you know, I was pinching myself a lot. And to this day, Mr. Mayo is like a surrogate father to me, yeah. but I still am starstruck by him, and I always will be.
1: When you uh, look at that period in John Mayle, there's, there's even material that you wrote like Life in the Jungle there. So that must have given you real confidence going forward in terms of going solo. Well, I had
2: whenever I was not on tour and I was home in California, there was a little bar at the beach in Huntington Beach and I had the house band there. And there was a a sweet little hippie girl named Jamie who used to come see us all the time and we became friends. And she lived four blocks away from the bar. And one night she came to see us and she hung out with us. And um, it's hard story. She was walking home and um, on her front steps, she was murdered. And um, I heard about her murder And it was about 3 a.m. when somebody called me and I was so upset. I just went out and started walking around town furiously trying to relax. And I wasn't going anywhere. But at one point I looked up and I was standing right in front of her house. And I went home and I wrote Life in the Jungle. And I played it for Mr. Mayall and he said, let's record it. And I thought to myself, the fact that John Mayall likes my song, I'm, I'm going to keep writing songs. And that started me off on thinking about having my own band. Yeah.
1: One of your key tracks is almost gone. That's a song that relates to the health difficulties that you've had and, and how you have overcome them. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's that's the opening track on Battle Scars, which is an album about my illness. And um, I think on that whole album, that's probably my favorite song. And the funny thing about that song is the, the album was done, and I went into the studio on the last day, and um the band was kind of packing up and I said, wait a minute, guys, I got this lick that goes down down, 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 and we started playing it. And I'm like, man, we can do something with this, you know? And by the end of the day, I probably took us two or three hours. We had that song and it was the last song we did. And it was an afterthought. And I still play that song every night because I think it, it sums up that whole album. Now I got regrets for the things I used to do. I wish I, for the things, now I got regrets for the things I used to do so long ago. I wish I could go back and do it over knowing what I know. And that sums up that whole record, you know.
0: Something's gone wrong. Can't help believing. it.
1: After that, there's a, another a great track of yours with Joe Bonamassa. We're all in this together. That must have been great for two incredible guitarists such as yourself to link up.
2: Well, that was uh, that was the second record I made with him. I made one on Full Circle. We did a song called "Clouds on the Horizon," but "We're All in This Together" was. Um, I got up in the morning. Um, I had some espresso and I thought to myself, well, who's coming in today? Because it, I was having a guest every day come in. Right. And uh, well, Joe's coming in today. I need something. And that's one. I I literally sat down in my living room and wrote it in about 10 minutes and got in the car and went up to the studio and we did it live. There's no overdubs. There's no
1: fixes amazing and the lyrical content of that speaks to the, the concerning sort of divisions that we've got politically and socially these days yeah politically
2: and i mean it, you know i think it's we're getting to some some critical points in the life of the planet and the life of society and at a certain point we're going to have to really face it together and get past our our differences And instead of looking at our differences, we're going to have to look at what makes us all human and and our common humanity and and work on some of this stuff or, you know, we're not going to make it. So that's exactly what that is about. Yeah.
1: John, new album follows up another hugely well-received album, Ordinary Madness. And uh, many of the songs on that seem to reflect what's going on as well.
2: Well, it's funny. People think I wrote that during the pandemic, but I actually did it before. And we finished that album in February. And the pandemic really got going in March, at least in the States, you know, so that was really more about sort of my own mental state, you know, and um, mental state of me and some friends of mine. And as the, as the song says, though, it's the anger and the fear and the sadness that you feel every day. You know, we're, we're all human here and we all have those emotions and those feelings. It's the everyday kind It ain't nothing
0: special It's just there in your mind
2: It's the sadness and the fear And the anger that you feel every day It just lays there in your gut And it won't go away It's just ordinary madness And it's here inside of me Yes, it's here inside of me It feels just like a stalker that's always around It's an interior talker Just trying to tear you down it's over the counter, and it's under the rug It's on top of the beat, yeah, it's an everyday drug It's ordinary of madness, and
0: it's here inside of me
1: close there's a great track on on that album okay boomer which is <laughs> it just seems to kick against stereotypes and and shows that even with health difficulties and age you can still kick against things well
2: I, um are you in the uk yeah okay well i don't know if they have this phrase there but in the states when somebody my age says something young people are liable to go yeah okay boomer <laughs> like you know you're a boomer you're yeah. you're not valid anymore yeah and one day one of my kids said that to me jokingly cuz they know if they said that to me seriously they're going to they're going <laughs> to they're going to see a side of me they're not going to like right mm. but he said that to me jokingly and i laughed and i I thought to myself, I'm going to take that and say, yeah, I'm a boomer and I'm okay.'" And uh, I wrote the words with my wife. And I mean, the words are kind of kind of funny, I think. You know, Um, I still like my rock and roll, the Beatles and the Stones, but I can't dance anymore. It hurts my bones. I like my music loud. I'm geriatric and I'm proud. And I'm a boomer and I'm OK. And actually, we did not rehearse that at all. Oh. I went in and I showed the band the lick. And I said, now what I want, I want us to sound like I said to the guys, do you guys remember when you were 15 and you were in the garage with your friends and you were jamming and it was chaos and it was disorganized, but you were having the best time of your life? And they said, yeah. I said, that's what we want to sound like. I want chaos. Here's the lick, but I, we're not going to rehearse it. We're going to play it once. And whatever we end up with is what we get. Because I want us to sound like a garage band when we were 15. And um, it, it came out pretty good, I
1: think. <laughs> you know. And I assume you've got lots of shows planned which will support the album. I do. I'm going to be... Uh, well, the album comes
2: out on August 19th. On the, uh, on the 23rd, I, I go do um, a cruise with Joe Bonamassa out in the Mediterranean. And then at the end of August, I go to the States and I do three weeks in the States. Then October and November, both of those months, I'm on tour in Europe without a break. And then in December, I do four shows around Los Angeles. And as I told my wife, if I'm still alive at the end of all that, I'll take a couple of weeks off.
1: It's brilliant. And I've really enjoyed listening to your new album. And it's fantastic to know that you're getting out there and playing to support it. Thank you so much for your time, Walter. It's been a huge privilege to talk to you.
2: That's okay. Thanks for having
1: me on your show, man. All right. See you later. Take care.
2: Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. One, two, three.